0: Several years ago on this week, there was an awful picture on the front page of newspapers around the world. This one was particularly shocking. It showed a child refugee from Syria whose body washed up on a beach in Turkey. Maybe you remember it. I had young children at the time And I remember hearing the news story on the radio. I heard an interview with the brother-in-law of that child's mother. She also had perished with her children as they were desperately trying to reach safety in another country. As the news reporter interviewed this man, I could hear muffled sobs. It took me a moment to realize that while the man being interviewed was definitely emotional talking about his wife's family, it was the news reporter who was crying audibly. We expect our news to be reported impartially without a whole lot of emotion. Because if we hear the news stories in a matter of fact way, No matter how horrific the story, somehow we can regard it as data and we don't have to acknowledge the very human connection of it. Too many times there are news stories that have such weight and consequence for our lives, our lives as human beings that there is no way to report them impartially. We need only open the news today to learn how COVID is ravaging less developed countries or about the stories of 84 million people worldwide displaced from their home countries or the effects of last week's Hurricane Ida. Human beings and we don't always know how to respond to those kinds of stories about human lives and livelihoods lost, about horrors that seem unending and impossible to comprehend. It's easy to want to keep those stories at arm's length, maybe the hand out, to not hear the reporter sobbing, to shake our heads at the horror to shield our hearts from feeling too deeply and on some level to stay really comfortable that it's not happening to us. And the stories keep on coming. Mass graves of children at at church-run indigenous schools, violence against Asian American people sparked by fear and COVID. The racial unrest that Leslie referenced that peaked last summer and still continues in some US cities. Not to mention back to the opening story, nearly 7 million Syrians still displaced from their homes, many living in refugee camps. Horrific stories of human beings experiencing violence perpetrated against them because of their skin color, their religion, or their ethnic group. We have a name for the attitude that begets that kind of violence, racism. We all have it. Whether we want to admit it or not, we all have prejudice. Sometimes we can't even articulate it. We just feel them. We make judgments about people based on some external attribute and those judgments color how we respond to them, how we unconsciously think about them, the tone of voice we use with them, how we refer to them, them, people, human beings. And sometimes Our prejudices, in our prejudice, we even walk on by without seeing or acknowledging that hurting person in front of us. Even Jesus was not immune to racial or ethnic bias. We see it in the gospel today when he responds to the Syrophoenician women. Jesus is entire It's on the Mediterranean Sea in what is now Lebanon. It is at the, Tyre is at the far north edge of the area Jesus traveled during his ministry. So he's about as far from home as he was gonna get. Tyre's on the coast. Galilee, where he spent most of his ministry is inland. The people up north, like any regional difference, had different skin color and different accents. And this particular woman was a Gentile, not a Jew. And still she heard about Jesus, even though he kept telling people not to talk about him, not to tell the stories of what he was doing. She heard about how he'd fed thousands of people last week and there were leftovers. And he healed people everywhere he went. And she comes to beg for that healing for her daughter When I hear this conversation in my head, I imagine that Jesus barely lets her get her request out of her mouth before he dismisses it and calls her a dog, a racial slur in any language. The woman, the unnamed woman, in a moment of courage or faith, or perhaps just plain defiance, challenges Jesus to see her and her child as real human beings, not just stereotypes. No scribe or Pharisee has even dared to talk back to Jesus like this. Perhaps it's her unwavering insistence that her child's life has as much value as anyone else's, but something Something opens Jesus' ears and his heart to see her with new eyes, and he tells her to go, that her words of faith have healed her daughter. With that one interaction, one aha, seeing and hearing the Syrophoenician woman, her pain, Jesus' ministry broadens where his focus had been primarily with Jewish populations and closer to home in Galilee. He spends the next period of his ministry in Gentile areas before returning to Jerusalem for his last days. In fact, the very next story finds Jesus in the Decapolis, another Gentile region that is Southwest of his home turf, a 120 mile walk from Tyre. I don't think he got there overnight. And when he gets to the Decapolis, he heals a deaf man. And when the man can hear clearly, his speech becomes clear. It's an interesting pairing of these two stories. When Jesus could hear the Syrophoenician woman Something about his speech, his message also became clear. And even though Jesus continually tells people to keep his healing power secret, they can't do that. Even Jesus cannot keep the power of the word of God under control. He cannot control or contain the love of God. And sometimes that love confronts death places. As the Syrophoenician woman and opens Jesus to further understand that God's justice and love know no bounds of race or ethnicity. Even Jesus' eyes are opened. We too are called to open our ears our hearts to be vulnerable to hear the desperate needs of our siblings crying out for justice and healing no matter where in the world they are, whether they are right here in the United States in King County, maybe the neighbors right outside our door, or maybe they're on the other side of the world, human beings desperately hoping for life, health, safety. And as followers of Jesus, we too are called to be agents of healing, speaking the truth of God's kingdom and working for justice. We cannot work against the powers of evil and violence that persecute and hate people because of the color of their skin or the language they speak, their religion or whom they love, until we confront and confess those attitudes in our own hearts. Confessing our own racism, our own prejudice, our own reliance on privilege, and our own deafness won't make them go away. It is an important beginning because it helps us be more aware of those things in ourselves and more aware of our dependence on God's mercy and grace. Confessing our own racism is the beginning of forgiveness, the beginning of opening our eyes, coming back to relationship with God and with our siblings. And this journey of confronting racism, our own and the racism woven into our church, our government, our society seems as daunting as walking 120 miles. And yet, as with any journey, it begins with the first step. We never know when we will inadvertently step in a hole, stumble, even take a few steps backwards. So thank goodness we walk this journey with companions and with God. Leslie's living epistle was a beautiful invitation to the Sacred Ground series here at Trinity that begins this fall. Uh, An invitation to understand our own prejudice and racism to begin on to begin and continue on the journey that is already happening in our hearts. We are the body of Christ in the world, empowered to continue Christ's healing ministry. So let us continue in his footsteps, hearing and seeing the desperation and sorrow of all God's children, and particularly those who are forgotten ignored and invisible to the privileged and powerful. May we find courage to acknowledge our own biases and our need for God's healing love. Our ears opened, may we find our voices strong and persuasive as we stand with our siblings from every tribe and language and people and nation to call for justice and acknowledge the dignity of every human being. In the name of the God who creates and loves us, amen.